Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Woohoo! <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files here on the Bastard News Radio Network. Uh, tonight's show is going to be something a little different. Mainly because as I, I'll be making a special announcement at the end, and then you'll understand the nature of the show. I am Tom Donaldson. I am the host of the Donaldson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. been the host for nearly five years. I've also had a co-host, Coco Konsky, who had an opportunity to pursue other interests and did so. And hopefully she may join us tonight. And, of course, the great Dr. Larry. And, and and Larry, you and I have been basically in this thing for God for several years. Uh, you know, you kind of, your show came after my show. It, you know, starting wise, and also for every Wednesday, you and I were like the the double duel of common sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, we tried not to bore anybody. Yeah. And most of the time we succeeded. <laughs> so, but I am Tom Donalds. I am the chairman of America's PAC. I am the senior fellow of America's Majority Foundation. I am also the project director there, and I am the senior fellow newly appointed to Frontier Freedom. Dr. Larry has got so many resumes and so many things in his life from being a cabaret singer and a model to quite a to writer, entrepreneur, educator, and he's also going to be a senior fellow at the Frontier of Freedom. And so, is there anything else I should add, uh, Larry? (laughs) Well, I did 421 weekly columns from uh, the Washington Times and and, uh, the... uh, and other other uh, uh, outlets, and um, and I'm back in and getting back into the. I had to take a break because of uh, health problems, but I uh, now I'm back in the back in the saddle, and I'm uh, doing that again. I'm and as well as uh, uh, working with you and uh, and some other some of our friends on uh, on getting this new network going. And uh, so we're we're keeping ourselves out of trouble, aren't we, Tom? Yeah. So, yeah, you know, I'm sitting here watching all this because, like I say, uh, Coco was at a resort. And, and on her Twitter site, she's literally, you know, she's been at the, you know, she's been in the pool. She's sipping a cappuccino. Uh, I love this. Taking a bubble bath. <laughs> so... Well, you uh, wanted to talk about some uh, good calls that we made uh, over the years. Yeah, this is yeah right? we do. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we've made some really good calls. So we have made some really good calls. And so I wanted to kind of do that. Also kind of talk about some of the, you know, interesting guests we've had over the years. We, You know, the both of us have had some interesting guests and why they were interesting. And uh, and let's kind of start. I'm going to start with you. Uh I mean, because you've had, like I say, I mean, there are so many things you stated. You you talked about uh, the unholy alliance, you know, which was another word, you know, a couple of years, which was another word describing the swamp. Uh, you were ahead of the curve there. The Manchurian candidate and Joe Biden in China. Uh, you talked about conscious capitalism, again, you know, making some very interesting points there. And you wrote a piece called The End of Constitutional Order or What Would Happen it seems to be happening uh, if Joe Biden became president two years ago. 
Yeah, so where do you want to start? Well, I guess I guess the first uh, call that I made uh, in recent times was uh, um, I, I called uh, the uh, election of, of Donald. Uh, first of all, the candidacy of Donald Trump, and then the uh, and the election. And um, and I thought there for uh, for a while that night that I was wrong. And then all of a sudden they pulled in all the uh, Electoral College, and uh, there, there it was. Um, and the reason that I was uh, was uh, in favor of him was basically because uh, he he was he, he's a, a a businessman, and it's been a long time since we ever had some uh, some of the characteristics of a of a well-run business, well-managed business in uh, Washington, and. Um, I thought that he made a lot of sense, and by George, he did. I didn't. I did not call the um, the uh, impeachment and the implacable um, uh, ob- ob- uh, opposition in the last two years of his uh, presidency. But um, but I did call in that period um, when they, when he first mentioned that that he was. Uh, he, he had his panel of um, experts for the uh, pandemic, and um, if you probably you probably recall, because you made a quite a point of it, that yes. um, that uh, I said that you shouldn't uh, take the uh, public health people at their word because they have such a limited perspective, and it's it's a good perspective if if you understand that it's limited. And because they don't, they're not thinking of, they're thinking only of the common good as in terms of numbers. And um, they're not going to be thinking in terms of the uh, price in the economy or the price in in uh, mental health or the price in education or anything else. And then when he went and uh, declared the uh, the lockdown, the lockdown, I also went in public in uh, in print and and on the radio and said that uh, that was the biggest gamble that he had made, and if it didn't turn out, he wouldn't get reelected. And uh, you know, sure enough, that turned out to be a pretty accurate uh, uh, prediction. So those were a couple of the ones, and and you know, one one of the reasons for the first one. Was that um, um, the uh, idea of uh, uh, you know, my uh, my old uh, friend uh, Tony Fauci calling the um, public policy of the United States was perfectly uh, dreadful. <laughs> I, I I just could not I could not cotton to that idea and sure enough it took a long time but he's finally been kind of um unmasked. And and I also had some inf- inside information because I I knew that the uh, Wuhan um uh, uh BSL4 facility had been actually uh, uh, overseen and and authenticated by um, Fauci and his uh, and his uh, uh, institute at at the at the Institute of um, uh, you know the public public health institute and and the reason I knew that was because my company had had uh, the uh, Operational contract for the BSL facility in uh, at Frederick, Frederick uh, Maryland, Fort Fort uh, Fort Detrick. So, anyway, I did have some inside information. I knew what he was trying to um, what he was trying to hide when it came to the origin, and um, so anyway, that 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 was one thing. And so I'll turn it over to you for the next uh, the next thing. Yeah, well, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, I'm going to follow up on it in a way in that because there, because on our my show, I, I remember when the the first time we talked about Tony Fauci on my show, and and you you kind of basically said 
simple things, not the least of which, you know, he was a power man, bureaucrat who was getting, he got something that he's always desired, power, uh, over, you know, grand power. And you made some other comments, and you kind of made it clear that he wasn't, you know, the kind of, you know, you know from a scientific point of view, he was kind of mediocre. From a bureaucratic point of view, he was brilliant. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure that's what you want in a scientist is to be a bad scientist but a great bureaucrat and would almost prefer the other way around. But you were the one, and this was like in May of 2020, and I remember listening to this, and I was like, oh, my God. First of all, Dr. Larry rarely says anything bad about anybody. You're so polite. But that day, you basically said, you know, you know this guy – I mean, you, you know, I'm not going to go. You, know, you, know, you basically said, you know, he was a mediocre scientist who, oftentimes, stole the research of others. He's, he built that bureaucracy. You talked about his connection to the Wuhan laboratory, and it was like, and you talk about the bureaucratic moros of the NIH and the CDC, who you were doing, who you worked with directly. As you said, these guys have no clue how the private sector works. For that matter, how you get a vaccine to the market, much less anything else. Yeah, I, I don't, I, I, yeah. I don't question his, his scientific credentials in the sense of, uh, as a research scientist. Although that's, that's the institute that he heads at, at the NIH, but yeah. um, I did know that he was very very responsible for uh, the Wuhan project all the way from the beginning. I mean, going way back to to when yeah. they first started, they first started talking about it. And and you have to remember in, in their defense that it was considered a good thing for Americans to be active in China there for, for a whole generation. Sure, and, that's absolutely right, yeah. So nobody really... Nobody really um, Paid much attention to any, uh, uh, I would say, any any ethical or or, or even legal issues uh, with that with that with those uh, with that connection at the time. And so, but I did know that since he had that connection, and since all of a sudden Wuhan was looked in the in the uh, in the microscope of, uh, pub- of world public opinion, that he was trying to avoid anybody knowing that he was that closely associated with it. Um, but even more important, I knew that he wasn't Saint Saint Anthony, and uh, yeah. um, he, you know, he's he's lasted a long time, and he did make his. He did make his reputation uh, with respect to uh, the uh, the other the other problem that we had in uh, in the 1970s and 80s. Uh, HIV. Uh, yeah, HIV. Well, you know, I'm going to say something to that because I'm going to be honest with you. He was mediocre there too. I mean, well, I remember did, it wasn't his his work. No, it wasn't. He, he did sponsor some some pretty good yeah. work, but it wasn't his work. Well, yeah, here's the thing he did. God, you know. I went back and looked at it because at the time, when at March, I do remember him because, see, I was part of Burroughs Welcome, and we were the ones that came out with the first retroviral, uh, retrovir. And uh, what people don't realize at the time, and I know like big, was this. If it wasn't for the private sector, HIV would be the, a – let's just put it this way. We turned HIV from a death sentence. To a manageable disease. I mean, that's what the com- these companies did, yeah. and and uh, basically we bailed out Tony Fauci and the rest of this group. I mean, they're still looking for a vaccine. I mean, that was this whole thing. The Holy Grail was vaccine, uh, and we basically, you know, we basically, you know, you know, turn. I mean, using the retrovirus, finding the, how best to use it. I mean, the one. I mean, I remember the one thing is the biggest problem we had when we first came up with the drugs. But the drug was, it was too toxic. But we yeah. found out when you cut the dosing significantly, you got the same results. People tolerated it. And then you, we found out when you started mixing different drugs, re, different retrovirals, you could lower the dose even then with less side effects and more efficacy. 
and you also had less chance of resistance uh, doing. And and it's again, it's one of those things where because he made a couple of bad statements about the spread of HIV that you know made it sound like all you had to do was cough and he got it. You know, he well, did, he was you know, already an he always an optimist. <laughs> yeah, always the optimist. I mean, he always looked. But he and, did. He did sponsor. He he provided some of the funding for some of those guys. Yeah, he did. But even the private. I mean, they were contracts with private companies. Yes, but yeah. But I I have to give him some credit for that. But yeah. that did not make him a great scientist, which is yeah. what he sort of uh, began to uh, the image he began to try to create. I don't say. Yeah. Used to hell on that thought. We're going to come right back to Donaldson Policy and the Bastion News Radio Network. Uh, we will be, uh, you can listen to the show every day at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the BastionNews.airtime.pro. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. This is the Donaldson Files here on Bachelor News Radio Network. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can buy my book, America at the Biff, Where America Survives, um, at these following locations. You can buy the book at BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com, and LibertyHillPublishingPress.com, which is uh, associating with Salem Media. So, and, so you got that going on right now, and we're going to come back here to Dr. Larry and myself on some of the great shows we had. But... Yeah, you're, you're, I'm going to follow up because here's the interesting thing. is I've been reading excerpts of Debbie Burke's book, who is one of those scientists during the coronavirus. And if you didn't believe in the deep state, reading that book will make you believe in the deep state. <laughs> and, and the other thing is this. I mean, I read a few months ago, you know, Scott Atlas came out of a book called Plague on the House, where he detailed his side. And it's funny in the sense that this book is interesting in the sense that Debbie books and I, I have come to the conclusion she's a mediocre scientist and she's probably one of the least self-aware people. I I'm beginning to think because she writes a book where she all puts them in. I faked the president out. I manipulated data to get what I wanted. Uh, you know, we had no plan to have 15 days. Uh, you know, the 15 days the what was it? The shutdown of virus, or and uh, and she kind of made it clear. We, you know, this was a long-term game plan, and my job was to kind of convince Trump to do all of this. And it doesn't, like I say, just like in the Atlas book, neither Trump or Pence, in my view, come off very well in all of this. But there's also no doubt that they, the lack of science that this woman even attempted. And the fact, even when things look like, hey, you know, this, you know, <laughs> this is exactly working the way it's supposed to work, she continued with the game plan, working with governors, you know, in you know, basically having them promote their own version of the lockdown and economic things. And and it kind of goes back, it goes back to the point you made. This was the biggest gamble, and he lost. He lost, and. He 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 figured it out in a, in a couple of weeks, but by that time it was too late, and yeah. um, he just he was in over his head and and people you know they most people don't pay as much attention to the ins and outs and days and nights of politics that to people like us do, and they just all they saw was their lives were. We're uh, going to the to the trash pit, and they just they they just they didn't. That's why they believed all that nonsense about uh, about uh, the impeachment and all that crap. Yeah. You know, they, a lot of people were were there, um, you know, because the press was uh, the 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 unholy alliance was 
was uh, fortified against him. I think that I was listening to some um, uh, some of the uh, earlier 1970-ish uh, uh, speeches of or interviews of uh, R- Ronald Reagan, and you know yeah. he was he went he was caught he was talking about the deep state back and back then. He didn't call it the deep state, but that's what he was talking about. He knew that that was the problem. And you know, it took it took an awful long time before it, the rest of us really figured out what he was that it was as bad as as, as it was. And um so anyway, that that uh that episode was turned out to be pretty fatal for the um yeah. for the the Trump administration. Yeah. But what well, you know, the yeah. next thing uh, the next thing I was I feel I feel like I was kind of uh, in a, an advanced man for was this whole idea of uh, trying to elect uh, uh, Mr. Biden. Uh, you know, I, I I called in the Manchurian candidate as soon as I saw that evidence that um, I, I first got I first got a glimmer of of the evidence against uh, Hunter Biden when I heard a a, a TV interview of. Uh, of Schweitzer, and um, and I, that really made me really pick up my ears. And then we started getting the um, the evidence started to come in, and we it was obviously being blocked by by the deep state, same people that were after um, after yeah. Trump, and. Um, but it was enough to convince me that that, that that this was real. And then Schweitzer's book came out, and, and boy, he, he really documented that case. It wasn't the only case, by the way, that he documented, but he sure documented that one. And um, that's why I called him. You know, I said, we, can't, we, cannot, we cannot elect this guy because this guy's in the pocket of the Chinese. But unfortunately, yeah. uh, not enough people listen to me. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you absolutely. Is, I mean, absolutely correct uh, in this regard because you look at the policy. We had this discussion a couple of weeks ago, and you, you look at this policy, and you have to ask yourself: If I was a Chinese ambassador or the Chinese leader, I would not be all that displeased over exactly the policies that are being set. When he's, you know, emasculating our energy plan, he's pushing for green technology, which basically means he's going to have to use Chinese technology, Chinese minerals, or those, or minerals coming from those countries in which China has pretty much got a big interest in, uh, or they already got their interest into it. And certainly, uh, you look at what's going on, you know, if I was Taiwan, uh, I would still be nervous. Because I have a feeling the Ukraine is about to basically go badly. Uh, I think the the Russians are making gains. They're still making money off their oil. Uh, You know, their economy, you know, the ruble has not collapsed. It's not going to as long as as we're out of the out of the uh, energy market. Exactly. That's that that is just and then and then there's at the same time they're talking they're they're, they're just destroying our Middle East. Uh, uh, I mean, Trump had a beautiful fence around Iran yeah. and and the whole uh, Sunni operation. Now. Uh, now he's, you know, that's all coming apart, and 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 Kerry and and uh, Biden are talking about uh, giving them another what 165 billion dollars, and and releasing all their uh, sequestered funds, which would be a trillion dollars. I yeah. mean, this is this is just this is insane. I mean, if we don't stop this, this whole thing is going to explode on us. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're absolutely. I mean, it's. I mean, the thing to come and let's. I'm going to follow up with the what you've just stated. The uh, Abraham Accord. 
Because on our show, on our show, in about 2018, Kevin Cork used to be on our show quite a bit. Uh, he used to do, you know, quite a bit on our show. And there were two things he, you know, there were two things he did. You know, he was one of the few reporters who questioned the Russian collusion hoax. Never say it didn't happen. He simply questioned what was being done. He said, where's the evidence? The second thing is he gave enough hints and saying things were happening in the Middle East. And essentially, he was describing what turned out to be the Abraham Accord. So that means if you listened to our show two years in advance, you would have known what the Abraham Accord was what was being done. Yeah, and, but nobody thought it could be thought it could be done at that yeah. point. But it was interesting that the thing is in two thousand eighteen they were doing they were trying to do this. And this is what the thing, you know, Kevin Cork was basically, you know, telling our audience. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because we're our audience, the staff you know, were talking about it. Yeah, the staff were talking about it, and things were being done behind the scenes. Now he was always he was very fat, he was a very interesting reporter. I mean, I know you know Kevin from because he's an MC for some of the programs you and uh, Krista works on. Yeah, that's right. And I, uh, I saw him not too long ago. Yeah, and but he was what I mean, the thing is. I mean, it was really fascinating because he he be he he played a coy game with them. Well, I've got sources that I have to protect. Because he didn't want to spill all the beans. But you would go like, you know, a hint here, you know, we're, you know, there's some negotiation here, negotiation with this group of people over here in the Middle East. And it was like you didn't you didn't have to you know, you could just figure out exactly what he was telling the audience without only the word of the Abraham Court. But it was you know but again, I mean it's exactly it's interesting in our show we detailed this two years in advance. Yeah, but you really have to start with when when Trump became president and he went over to the Saudi Arabia and he was dancing with the with the right in the right with the the, the Saudi swordsman. Remember that? And yeah. He, he made that that uh, nobody had ever, no American president had ever. Um, uh, Established, let alone maintain a uh, such a person-to-person relationship with all those anti-Israeli um, uh, Arabs. I mean, it, it was just—it was a phenomenal gesture, and, and clearly he had that idea, some kind of an idea like that, all along. In other words, the whole problem is not the Palestinians. And a two-state solution. The whole problem is we got to we got to stop uh, Iran, and we have to have a an alliance that's strong enough to do that. Um, I that to, to me that was a masterpiece of diplomacy in the in the in the Trump administration. Yeah, I, I have nothing but admir- admiration for that. And now this idiot is coming along. He and and and, and the biggest, I think, I'm. Being a little bit uh, um, forward here, but my 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 sense is that the the most significant traitor in American history is not um, is not uh, the um, who was the uh, vice uh, um, the vice president under um, uh, Jefferson. Um, what was yeah. his name again? Aaron Burr. Oh, Aaron Burr. He was not the greatest traitor of the of the United States. I think the greatest traitor of the United States history is John Kerry, because he was carrying on these subversive negotiations with the Iranians, and and um, and the uh, I I don't I, I just believe that that this this whole thing was is is just absolutely uh, despicable and it's extremely dangerous to the United States. Yeah, I mean the, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean the, uh, and, and again, yeah, it's interesting because we got Michael Flynn for so-called Logan Act. They tried to get him on that and lying to the FBI on something he had the right to do, namely meeting with the Russians in the post-election, and and so, you know, and so that. And we're going to take a break here and follow up with that because I think that's, you know, 
Because, I mean, like I say, John Kerry is one of those guys that, quite frankly, have, yeah, we have to follow up with him. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Yeah, Napa know-how, ladies and gentlemen. Also, don't forget this is Donaldson Miles in the Bastion News Radio Network. Listen to the show every day at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here on the Bastion News Radio, uh, Bastion News Radio Network, BastionNews.airtime.pro. You can buy my book, America at the Abyss, Where America Survive, at Where America Survive, at any bookstore at BarnesandNoble.com, uh, Amazon.com, and uh, Liberty Hill Publishing Press, which is associated with uh, media, uh, Salem Media. All right. You know, here's the thing. Right. He, did, he was talking to the Iranians during the Trump year. And if you look at everything he has done. That, that's outlawed. Yeah, that, that, that's that's not that's not a misdemeanor, man. That's a felony. Well, it is if you have an R behind your name. <laughs> yeah, right. But uh... well, one I did call, but I didn't I didn't succeed in, and uh, uh, my free market uh, health care system. I I had a lot of uh, really uh, distinguished uh, guests to. Um, to try to you know talk talk that talk up that concept, and I think, frankly, um, if we had had if we'd had another uh, Trump uh, administration, uh, I got I got David uh, Rare to uh, to help at at the end there, put together a a concrete proposal for uh, legislation in that respect, and and. I don't know if you realize it, but David was—he was a—he was, a, um, he was a, the, the chief of staff of uh, the uh, of Livingston when when they put together the uh, the budget that the, the only balanced budget we've ever had in the, in the 20th century, um, and then he became a after that he became a uh, a lobbyist, and then he went and got a doctorate. Now he's a he's a professor, but he knows how to do this stuff. And we had we had some support for that, and you know I I just I've been tempted to try it again, but with this crowd there's just no there's no basis. They don't the free market is is uh, considered a swear word with the Bidens. So, but anyway, that was a that was quite a venture, and I still believe in that. I still believe if we could get. A free market health uh, health system in the United States, we'd be far far ahead of where we are now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and and I think you know it. You're absolutely correct on that, and and I I find this like I say you're absolutely correct, and and I just you know and it, which Chris I, actually I tell you I did not know that David Weir worked for uh, Livingston. I knew he worked oh, in yeah, Capitol yeah. Hill. I did yeah. not know the two of them were connected. Oh yeah. Which, by the way, reminds us because you know, you know, Livingston has been on both of our shows. Oh yeah, well he's a he's a friend of mine, and and um, yeah, I the we we uh, we topped it off there about for the resistance hour. Remember about uh, six months yeah. ago, and yeah, uh, or a little longer than that now, when we had Jim Gilmore and uh, and Bob Livingston on the same show. That was uh, that was one of our. Our great uh, coups, wasn't yeah. it? That was a great coup, yeah. Well, you know, they, they made some they made some interesting point, but you know, they, they, there was kind of a position there that you know you look at it today, and you and I discussed this earlier. Uh, I mean, uh, I think last week, and the point, you know, they were like I say, they were all about the Ukraine. You know, and I guess the way Gilmore put it, you know, this is the issue in front of us. But they really rarely talked about China as the ultimate threat. Yeah. And 
And I, you know, I go back and look at that episode. I'm, you know, almost wish, you know, when, you know, when we, uh, it'd be love to have the two of them together to talk about and just say, okay, where are we now? Where do you think now? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I remember I, I put my, uh, my, my Chinese uh, theory in front of them, and they both kind of uh, poo pooed it. You know, um, they uh, they just didn't. You know, this is a conspiracy theory. You know, and we don't uh, we can't prove that. So let's go on to something else. <laughs> well, you know now, the thing is now. Oh, they're starting. I'm. I don't have a red face anymore. They do. Yeah. Well, I didn't have. I mean, I thought you and I were right on that one. But it's like you say. I mean, I know. You know, like, and the thing is, you know, Ambassador Gilmore was based. His expertise was Central Europe. Well, you know, that's what. Yeah. You know, that's where he worked and, with and he during did the a lot of Good over there too. He did a lot of good. Absolutely. And he, know, and he knew Ukraine, man. He knew that better than anybody I've talked to. Yeah. He 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 um he predicted that they were going to be a very hard conquest for um for Russia, but yeah. It's a problem was he didn't know that the Biden administration wasn't going to support him the way they should. Well, he he should have known. Because, <laughs> I mean, uh, well, nobody knew at that point. Yeah. Including but, uh, Biden. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, here's the thing. You know, I mean, absolutely. And here's the other thing. I'm going to go back very briefly to the coronavirus, and then I'm going to get back to the. Russian collusion hoax because I was you know, I remember May of 2020 and I remember asking a guest I said look is this you know because at that time data was coming out that this virus is as lethal as it was was nowhere going to be as lethal as what was originally predicted you know the the models were off by and they're still off by a factor two to two to four times and it took them and that's what the liberal interpretation of coronavirus and I remember saying you know we're going to end up with the lock, these economic strength lockdown will prove to be worse to society, and we may end up killing more people than we'll end up saving down the road. And I think those numbers are coming up. And I can remember in 2017 on another show in this network where I said the three biggest things I said. Number one, the Russian collusion hoax will prove to be a hoax. We'll find there's nothing behind it, but what we'll also find is that the FBI uh, was spying on a presidential campaign. And that the vice courts were being abused to get warrants. All three of those things. This was in 2017. All three of those things have proven to be true. Yep. So. Well, and that this this um, this uh, pandemic is just kind of it just keeps on yeah. growing more and more uh, tentacles. But yeah. So did so did. Flu, you know. I mean, when you look back, the 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 flu that was took all those lives in uh, yeah. twenty eight uh, nineteen eighteen and twenty yeah. nineteen. Um, that was a different strain of of uh, flu than than anything yeah. we've had recently. And yeah. so that's I mean that's the nature of the beast. Yeah, it is. But you know, here's the difference: is that it did, once it was over, people went back to normal. There was normality. Uh, well, they they didn't stop either. I mean, they, there was no yeah. there was no well, lockdown. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Remember, 2018, you had a you you were right in the midst of a world war. They couldn't afford to shut down. Yeah. If you had a lockdown, you'd be locking down the very thing that was keeping the Allies going: our manufacturing, yeah. and our farming. I don't I don't think they would have done it anyway. In yeah. fact, they didn't after they had the peace, and they still had the they still had yeah. the pandemic. They didn't. They just didn't think of it. They, they never thought of closing down the whole. It took it took Tony Fauci to think of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, but again, you know, we were you know we were right on that particular episode on on both of those episodes. Yeah. Uh, all right. Who are some of the best guests you? I know Gilmore and Livingston were pretty good guests. Uh, Especially. who else did you have on your show that you would sit back and say, "Yeah, boy, you know what? A, you know, they were a pretty good guest." I would say uh, Doctor Ware Rare was is, yeah. is very good. Um, 
and um, I, I I liked um, you know I had um, um, uh, Ben Bakken he came and talked about the conscious capitalism I thought that, yeah, I thought he that was, was a good, yeah. real breakthrough and um, and in fact uh, I'm I'm going to get back on that train because I still think that the evolution of capitalism is critical to our future. And the beauty of it is, it's already been started, and there's, it's, it's you know, it's a flourishing, it's a flourishing uh, movement right now, trend mm-hmm. with the younger uh, capitalists. They want a, they want a much more idealistic view and, and a much more uh, socially oriented view of what capitalism, what the purpose of business really is, and you know that's we we just gotta we gotta move on that because, we cannot seed the ground of idealism to socialism you know yeah. that's that's a lot of their their initial uh attraction is because they talk about this uh, this uh, uh paradise that life would be if there were no uh distinctions by uh wealth or by nobility or by birth or by nationality or or whatever and that and you know that uh making money is bad and and that's all greed and and uh that's that 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 picture of tranquility and peace and beauty and and so and everybody loving each other i mean that's that really attracts attracts uh people and of yeah. course that's not what that's not what it is and and nowadays with with current journalism and even social media, certain people ought to certainly know that that, I mean, uh, that's not, that, look at it, whatever it's been tried, it's failed. But nevertheless, uh, that idealistic picture of uh, Karl Marx is is still alive, and we've got, to, we've got to counter it. We have a much better picture. We have a picture where people have a real reason to uh, work hard and, and and keep uh, to live well and and be virtuous and be good neighbors, as I always say, you know, and a capitalist would rather uh, sell you something than he would shoot you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, for those people who are really, I'm, I'm sitting here, I am following, as I'm watching, you know, we're talking here. You know, Coco Cancy is at the resort and she's doing a. She is now betting on racehorses and it's up eighty dollars. <laughs> so, so, uh, but no, I think you know. I mean, like I say, it's something you know, to, to pursue very further because the point that you make here's the interesting thing. We years ago, about two years ago, I, I did a major uh, study for an Americans Majority Foundation, and and with uh, JD Johannes, a good friend of mine, and we were surveying people. And here's what we found was fascinating. We found there was like. The, you know that more than half of the people who looked at you know like I say socialism as Denmark. I mean, what we we would ask questions like you know, do you look at Denmark socialism as Denmark and Venezuela? And then we would say, is capitalism something where you can pursue your dream or something for the one percent? And interesting enough, more than half of the people who looked said Denmark also said we love capitalism because it gives us a chance to be free and to move on. The idealism that you just talked about. The idealism that you say, and I think it's one of those things where, you know, when I talk to me, I said, you know, the thing is, when you talk about capitalism, you know, it's not just about prosperity, but it's the fact that you can pursue your dreams in which prosperity comes as a result. Pursuing your dreams, pursuing to be the best you can possibly be. There's an idealism that should be talked about that we don't. Sometimes we get too much into the, you know, dollars and cents. As opposed to say, what makes it work? And the answer is, you're free to do, to be the best you can be. And people do understand that portion. Well, we also have discovered, you know, if you if you stop and think of uh, human history, there really wasn't much change in in the social structure of human societies, un- from prehistory all the way through to to the 17th to the 18th century and the average uh income 
for the average person, not not the nobility and not the not the the uh, the great kings and and the conquerors, but the average that most people were serfs or or slaves or somehow um, uh, people that that were tenant farmers and so on, and they all they you know they had a short their life expectancy was approximately 30 to 35 years and that's because of high high mortality infant mortality rate and 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 now what changed is look at us i mean we're we're looking at a life expectancy of uh what 75 years old and even more and we're looking at uh, a regular income of being thousands of dollars and um and uh and but what what changed what what made why why what what was the difference the 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 difference is we figured some some people figured out that there is a way there is a motivation uh that is innate in people's in in, in the human society that is more important and works better than force because before the only the only real uh, way of making sure that people did what they're supposed to do was to force them to do it, and and um, so what we found out was, if you tell everybody everybody that 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 if if you work hard and and if you uh, take care of your family, that that you can be if you're free to be able to do that, free to do it in the way that you think you can. And the best way that you know how, and you continue to work and 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 have your own family uh, well taken care of, both in life and even in death, that that is a motivation that makes that that you can build a whole society on, and we've done that, and we've we've we have we have a society of families that are. That are trying to uh, that are free to be able to to uh, do them do the work and 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 make uh, their lives and and everybody else's lives to live in peace and to live in prosperity and it works and it, and it works if you want to know it works look at the history of the United States of America because we're the only place that has done it for as long as we have yeah and and of course it's now. It's now in jeopardy because of some idiots that don't understand what it's about and don't believe in it. But yeah. Yeah. we do believe it. in it, and we have made it work. Yeah. And we're going to take a quick break here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, you can buy my book, America at the Abyss, Where America Survived, on the Bachelor News, you know, at barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, and libertyhillpublishingpress.com. Again, America at the Abyss, Where America Survived. And this book's available at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, LibertyHillPublishingPress.com. And so, yes, and so now. And and by the way, how's Teresa doing? Because I think I hear her in the background. No, that was was Kirsten that said goodbye. Uh, Oh, Kirsten, (laughs) how you? (laughs) Okay, good. All right, we got lags. We got about 12 minutes left. And uh, I do want to spend a few minutes uh, uh, making our announcement, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of an announcement here. But uh, is you know, here's some of the. I mean, like I said, we've had some great. You know, another good guest I found interesting. You've had him on a couple of times. I've had him, Mark Morano, uh, Planet yeah. Depot. I mean, this guy is like a windmill. But he's one, of, you know, he's one of those interesting people. For those people don't know, he's written several books on climate change, yeah. and he challenged the narrative, and he's very good. I mean, he's one of these guys. He may not be a scientist, but I've literally seen him embarrassed scientists on TV. Where I, I, yeah. I mean, I've, I remember years ago there was a scientist. It was like one of these uh, NPR, I think they had him, and he literally ripped this guy apart almost from the minute. He says, you got that fact wrong. You got this wrong. Why do you keep seeing these things? And he forced the guy to retreat. It was, like, beautiful to watch him. By the time the – it was, like, 10 minutes. By the time the 10 minutes were up, it was, like, this poor scientist was wishing he wasn't there. (laughs) 
He wanted to know where the exit was, huh? He was known at exit. But he also, I mean, he's been, again, he's made a pretty fascinating and interesting point uh, connecting the coronavirus and the lockdown to what he predicts will be the model for climate change. You know, yeah. you know the change, the transformation of using climate change as the transformation of America. Yeah, he, you know, and he, and he puts those dots very nicely in his most recent book, and he certainly has done so on our show. And again, and like I say, he's just one of those guys that it, you know, he knows his stuff. Well, you know, there's an interesting um, angle on that, and that is that, um, that maybe they're they're afraid of the wrong thing. Because there's a new um, uh, whole study of um, the the worst year in a, in a recorded history, and it turns out that it was the year of uh, 1535, 36, and 37, in which the sun disappeared for the whole northern northern. Um, uh, uh, part of the world, and thousands of people died. There were no crops. There was no. It was just absolute uh, uh, horror. And and they finally figured out what happened. Apparently, what happened was the uh, simultaneous eruption of uh, several uh, extremely uh, uh, virulent uh, volcanoes. And they sent up such a heavy ash uh, that the uh, the wind could not disrupt it. And for 18 months, there was no there was no wind. And then again in 18 in 540, it came back again, not quite as bad or as long, but it was really the worst period in in, in recorded history. And if if you're uh, worried about climate change. You better, you really, you better start thinking about what about all these volcanoes because they have really proven that yeah. they could not, they could damage us a lot more than than anything else that uh, the climate people are talking about. Well, I mean, the thing that comes into play is this: it's like there's a aspect that comes into play here that is, I think, first of all, I think it's hubris of human beings to think they can control climate. As if this was a thermostat. Never have. Never have. It never will be. I mean, it's just, I mean, you're basically, you know, you have scientists playing God in this respect. And number two, the variables that you're trying to figure out, I mean, the climate is a quite complicated aspect. Uh, And to me, and it's like the idea that we will know any, you know, what we can be able to produce everything, every variable into a computer when we don't even know what those variables truly are. You know, what are the most important variables? And so, you know, what's the most important? Yeah. I'm, and, and there's really no evidence that's, uh, that supports that this whole thing is a pipe dream. I mean, there's yeah. no evidence that supports either the idea that we're that that we're in, that we're in trouble because they can't make up their mind whether it's a uh, too much heat or too much uh, cold and they talk about the the um, icebergs of melting and overtaking Miami, Florida and so on well there's there's just no evidence of any of that and besides there's no way to stop it if if they did happen it's yeah. never been proven that that anything America people did have been able to stop stop or start or even influence. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, yeah, we can we can big dig uh, ditches and and, uh, and and canals and things to uh, change the ocean, but that's not the climate. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it is human beings, but. You know, it's human beings trying to, like you say, I, to me, it's, it's just an excuse to come up with government interventionist policies to give more power over our daily lives. Well, I, sure. I totally believe that to be the case. Okay. And I think the one thing, if we learned anything with the coronavirus, we ought to be learning about the 
you know, climate uh, experts as well, is that they can be some of the biggest whores around. I mean, they're about as big as a whores as the politicians they serve. If they can get grants, they can get money, they can get power, you know, they love it. And, and well, they and, have and, it, too. And they have it, too. And it's, I mean, and it's an aspect of, you know, we have this you feeling. You know why about, they have it? They have it because the American people don't vote very much. Yeah. No, really? we've, we've had higher percentages of, of voter participation in the last two elections, you know, federal elections, than we've had ever had, I guess. Certainly yeah. for a long time, but but by George, we better keep that going, and we better keep it going on a lo- local level as well. Yeah. All right. Tell you what, we got about four minutes left, and uh, and here's what I wanted wanted to say is this: this will be my last show on the Basket News Network. I've had I've been on it for nearly five years. I had a co-host, Kilko Konsky, uh, who by the you know, who was, you know, was part of the show. The you know, she was the liberal voice. As I say, she went on to pursue other events after about a year ago. But I've enjoyed it, and I've you know I will thank well, the. You had another co-host too. Yes, and I had another uh, Dr. Larry. Yeah, the Resistance Hour. The Resistance Hour. So. And so they, I mean, so I've had fun doing this. We've had a good time. It was a good opportunity. I would thank L.A. Bachelor for allowing us to do this for so long. And enjoying it, uh, and you know, both Larry and I have new opportunities we'll be pursuing. And just uh, DonaldsonTFiles dot com, you can get more information about what I'm going to be doing. And uh, you know, Doctor Larry online, and Doctor, you know, just tell people your website. Yeah, it's uh, dr. Doctor Larry online dot com, and. And and between those two, you'll know more about what we'll be doing uh, in the future. Uh, You know, like I say, there's a lot, you know, we have a lot of options in front of us. We're exploring a lot of options. There'll be some options that, uh, as with our work with the the Frontier Freedom, they'll probably begin in in, uh, August. And so I want to just say thank you to this audience. Thank you to Coco. For being a co-host, thank you, uh, LA, for allowing us to be on the show. Uh, thank you, Dr. Larry, uh, for being a co-host and, a, and and kind of a recent guest. <laughs> yeah. Well, let let me say I don't. I'm not basically resigning from the network. I'm just resigning from being a uh, host, and uh, I'm still available as a as a uh, yeah. guest uh, for the network and whenever LA wants me. And uh, I certainly appreciate all he's done for us, and I appreciate working with you, Tom. You've, uh, you, we've been. Uh, I think we've been a pretty good team. Yes, we have. We've been a good team. I, and I've always enjoyed it. And, and it was really nice to meet you and uh, meet your, you know, meet, meet your daughter and your lovely, beautiful bride and that wonderful farm of yours out there in the wilderness of Virginia. <laughs> So, and um, and like I said, I do plan. Well, to you're get, welcome anytime. Well, like I said I have to eventually have to get back to D.C. to you'll you'll plot the salvation of the republic, uh, which uh, becomes diff- more difficult on a daily basis. But <laughs> <laughs> but well. uh, it was you know. But like I said, we've had you know we've had fun. It's been a lot of good. We've had basically, you know, a pretty good run on this network for about nearly five years. And both of us, even before that, we were routine guests on the Bachelor News shows. Uh, so, yeah. And so I well, want to just say thank you, ladies and gentlemen, and good night in the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Good night, Tom. Uh oh. Guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woohoo! Leslie, guess what today is? Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day? Woohoo!
Ha 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 ha!